Welcome to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. Welcome to Episode 4 of this great, great, beautiful breakthrough about reaching the unchurched, 12 Dynamics for Impact. Dynamic number five is really exciting, and I'm very excited about sharing it with you. It's about identifying those with holy discontent. That's dynamic number five, to identify those in your church who have holy discontent. Before I talk about that, I have a confession. During the early years of consulting churches, I just was always disappointed because even though the vast majority of the people would come to the oral report that we give and share the, the, the highlighted uh, recommendations that we're going to make, and they're all excited and they're, they're thrilled to hear about their church going forward, and I know there's a lot of ownership and energy from that, and it's kind of a launch pad for the church to start a new chapter of history on a, on a stronger path and remove some of the roadblocks and all that stuff. But there was always a portion of the church that didn't show up, didn't care, weren't interested. Even though everybody in the church fills out a questionnaire, you would think that people would be really interested to know, well, what did they learn? What are they going to say? I know some people have a conflict on a Sunday afternoon when we give these oral reports or whenever we do it. It just seems to me that everybody ought to be really eager. It's kind of like you go to the doctor, your medical doctor, and they poke and probe at you, and they take a bunch of x-rays or whatever, and then they call and they say, uh, we've got the results. Are you interested in what we found? Well, yeah, I'm interested. You messed with my body, and my body's important to me. Well, I don't know whether there are people that for whom the, the body of Christ is not that important to them, or whether there are all those people could possibly have conflicts, like maybe something's good on TV or whatever, in terms of their priorities, but it used to really bother me that we would only get, you know, a, a, a slight majority of the congregation that's really gung-ho to hear the response of all this work, all this diagnosis and analysis, and all these recommendations, and everybody that's there just goes away totally at a new level of excitement. In fact, the giving goes up without us even mentioning it after a consultation. The offerings, they just go up. I think people are more excited. But why don't they all come? And it really bothered me. And then finally, I came to the conclusion that, you know, not everybody is at the same place at the same time in their spiritual walk. And I'm not judging anybody or anything like that. Some of them probably did have a serious conflict. But I was expecting too much. I was trying to practice heaven on earth, <laughs> and uh, I just had to deal with that in my own heart to say, you know what, be glad that there are all these people there. Look at the glass half full, not half empty. But then I realized that any movement starts with a group of people, and they infect through their relationships other people. It's the way the New Testament church started. It's the way every church starts. So I kind of came to a grown-up understanding of this, a little more mature and probably more spiritual look at it, to realize that at any given point that we go into a congregation, there are some people that are ready to go, and I should be thankful. 
And I should understand that God will use them over a period of time. And they will touch some of the others. And there'll be some that, like, never get on board. But they're faithful. They come to church. And, you know, maybe they come to church only once in a while. Or maybe they come to church regularly, but they're not involved in anything. They're just, you know, they're just not there. And I don't judge them as being non-Christians or poor Christians or anything like that. They're just not at that point right now. And so I had to get used to that. Well, then, back in 2006, we discovered something after decades of working with churches that I had never detected before. Actually, I'm certain with all the work that we do with churches, I am positive that this didn't exist before 2006. And we finally put a name to it, and it's called Holy Discontent. Now, before I talk to you a little bit about the history of our understanding, our discovery of holy discontent, let me just back up and talk about how this happens. Because now we've even developed assessment tools, surveys, that people can take after studying this condition, this, I think, spiritual infection of holy discontent. We can measure this, and we can actually discover who these people are. And I don't know anybody on the planet, honestly, that has done the work to identify people with holy discontent. And this is a deal breaker. This is a deal maker for churches to know who these people are. And so to have these surveys that identify these people is just awesome. But let me talk about holy discontent. Holy discontent is the work of the Holy Spirit. It is not something that happens just because of some program. It happens because God's Spirit touches certain people. We don't really have any control over that. I can't tell you, do this, that, and the other thing, and you're going to raise the level of people that have holy discontent in your church because it truly is holy discontent. It is, without question, the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is like the wind. He blows wherever he wants. Okay. So when we find people that have holy discontent in churches, they're not everybody on the church board. In some churches, they're not everybody on staff. They're not everybody that is known by everybody. They're sometimes the little old woman who's a widow, who's there regularly in church, always sitting in the same place in the third row on the left. It's amazing. And so you can't, from a human standpoint, ever detect and qualify or quantify those people with holy discontent. You have to help them tell you that they fit this profile even before they even know what to call it. And so it was back in 2006, as I said before, that we discovered the very early beginnings of this phenomenon. It's a spiritual phenomenon. And there is no question among our people at Church Doctor Ministries and our field consultants across the U.S., there is no question at all that this is the beginning 
of some point in history that God only knows of a coming revival. Before revival, there's always an awakening in a church. So, to back that up, there is some point in time, based on the discovery of holy discontent, there's some point in time where we're going to see some churches experience an awakening, a wake-up call, which always happens before a revival. Now, when there's a revival, and even when there's an awakening, there are churches that are a block away that sleep right through the awakening and therefore aren't really part of the revival. It's happened every time in history. It doesn't matter if they're close or far away. They hear about it or they don't hear about it. It just doesn't happen in some churches. I'm convinced that whatever you call it, we call it holy discontent, or we could call it spiritual restlessness, but whatever you call it, I'm convinced that this is an element that God does through the Holy Spirit in every church, and that the deciding factor is whether the leadership have the wisdom, the knowledge, the willingness, or whatever, to identify those people on the one hand and to work with them on the other. And I'm convinced, without any doubt, that the churches that are not part of a massive move of God are churches where either they are not true to Scripture, that they're way off in some left field other area, or the leadership has missed what's right before their eyes and may not even understand it. I'm not criticizing or blaming them. I'm just saying, when you hear the rest of this particular episode, you have no excuse. (laughs) You're ruined for the ordinary now. (laughs) Because this is a phenomenal thing. And when people discover that what they have is holy discontent, and they learn about it, it's like liberating for them. They realize that maybe something they were a little concerned about or a little nervous about, actually is a blessing and that they have a role to play to infect others in the church. So it's a movement within the movement of your church is what it really is. And so we first discovered this in 2006. But what happened is an interesting story. I discovered it. Our other consultants discovered it. I think I first talked about it with our new leader, Tracy. I said, Tracy, I'm running into something I've never run into in all these decades of interviewing people. Because when we go into a church, first we send all these surveys and we get this information back. And then our statistical department analyzes it, puts it in graphic forms, all sorts of tables and graphs and color this and color that. and It's really cool. And and so then we show those in PowerPoints to uh, the people that come to the oral report. And that's part of our process of learning and digging deep into the church. But in addition to that, in addition to the surveys, when we come on site, we interview people one after another all day long. And in a big church, it would be quite a lot, many days. And a smaller church, it might be a few days, but it's never just one day. And so we interview different segments of people, the leaders, cross-section of the congregation, uh, anybody who requests a, an interview, that's an opportunity given. And so we do these interviews, 
And the way these interviews are set up, we learn a lot. First of all, the dynamics are great because it's amazing what a person will tell someone from out of town. If you come from out of town, you're not part of the church. And the second part of the formula is that you guarantee in writing total anonymity. We will not reveal anybody who tells us anything. We only report what we hear over and over and over again and have supported evidence that that's a reality in that church. So everybody knows that. They hear it verbally. They get it in writing. They have it on a piece of paper to take home in case they forget. And so in an interview like that with a closed door with a stranger from out of town, you just can't imagine how fast and how effectively we can get information that anybody in the church would never be able to get. It's just amazing. And, of course, we're trained to ask the right questions and the right follow-up questions and We're trained to be really, really good listeners. And we take notes. They know that we're really serious. And people open up. And it's really interesting because all these years, we've met people in these interviews. And we meet people. We've had met people for years that have what I would call now unholy discontent. Uh, These are basically people that start complaining right from the beginning. The first question we usually ask is, tell us about the church. It's just very general to kind of get them moving, get them talking, get their jaws moving, help them feel comfortable, that kind of a thing. Tell us about your church. Tell us anything about your church. If that doesn't work, we ask them how long you've been a member of the church and tell us about, you know, your time at the church or whatever. But when we meet people with unholy discontent, our consultants are very well trained. We can identify these people in a heartbeat. I mean, it doesn't take very long. You know why? Because when they start talking about the church, it's one complaint after another and after another and after another. And the absence of anything positive, you would just privately ask yourself as a consultant, not out loud, but inside you'd say, well, there's got to be something good happening at this church. There's something good happening at every church, you know. But um, so I'll share a little, little part of our wisdom with you. So when we get a person like that who has nothing but negative to say over and over again about all kinds of things, can you guess what we ask them next? I'll give you a little consultant training here. We ask them, so uh, how long have you been at this church? And they'll tell us. And sometimes it's, uh, you know, a few months, sometimes it's a few years. When they tell us that, we say, oh, that's interesting. So were you at a church before you came to this church? And they say, yeah, yeah, I was at this, you know, and they'll mention a church somewhere down the road or across town or whatever. And we'll say, well, tell us about that church. And they'll tell us all the things that were wrong with that church. And so you were there how long? Oh, you know, and they'll tell you about a, you know, a time that's not very long, maybe two or three years at the outset or whatever. So were you at a church before that church? Oh, yeah, before that we were. And after a while, you find out that these people are what our consultants privately call church hoppers. They're church hoppers, and they will die discontent unless God gets a hold of their attitude. And so, basically, there are people like this in every church. We've just decided that, you know, they're there, 
And you may think, you know, you have a few in your church and you're the only church. No way. They're everywhere. They are part of the territory. I think God may allow them to be in the church to keep the pastor humble. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, and it works pretty well. Yeah, also help the pastor and the staff lose sleep. Because pastor and staff don't always recognize and maybe have never been trained to learn that these are people that are just discontent. Some of these people actually change jobs every few years also. It's kind of part of their DNA. So those are people with unholy discontent. And you know what? We have seen those people from the beginning. Every church, without exception, over thousands of churches that we've worked with, have those people, okay? It's just part of life. And, you know, we pray for them, and I know, you know, you can try to encourage them and stuff. God can work miracles. That's pretty much what it takes, a healing of some kind of the mind. But in 2006, we had people that when we said, tell us about your church, there was a different path, totally different than anything any of our consultants had ever heard before. I want to impress upon you, this is a God thing, and you should be excited about it. So around 2006, I was in a church consulting by myself as a consultant, and I said, tell us about your church. And I was with a couple, a husband and wife. They said, this is confidential, right? I said, yes, it is confidential. Then they said, we don't want to sound like those complainers in our church. I said, okay, something new I not had heard much before. We don't want to sound like one of those complainers. Then they said, we haven't told anybody at church this, not even the pastor, because we don't want to be put in that category of people who are complaining about the church all the time, because those people wear us out too. Okay. Then they offered this information. They said, look, we're here every Sunday, and we want you to know we love our pastor. We love our staff, if they have a staff. We love our staff. We're not going anywhere. We just want you to know we're here for this church. We give generously. We're involved a lot. And we give of our time as well. All right? Then they say, and this is very common, almost word for word. It's, it's almost identical. It's, it's a phenomenal thing. You'll hear people say, well, we talk about this at home, but not in front of our kids or anybody else. But we talk about it privately. And we, we just can't get over this. And it gnaws at us. And it really, it's a struggle for us. It's, it's a challenge for us. We just can't get settled on this. What is that? I would say. They would say, well, our church is so great. We have so many good things happening at our church. This is such a good church that we just can't understand why it isn't just growing like wildfire. We should be having times when we're out of room. We should have to go to other services. We, we should be stumbling over ourselves in the building because our church has so much good that's going on. And the first time I heard it, I thought, well, that's different. It wasn't very long, and I heard again. And I thought, wow, all these years, I haven't heard that before. And then I was out on another church on the West Coast, and uh, – I was interviewing some people. I had the same thing happen. It was like, do you know these people that I was at at the church in Kansas? <laughs> of course, they wouldn't. They didn't. But 
I said, well, okay. Um, yeah, tell me about it. It was almost identical. So then I ran into a couple more people. And then I was in the south and then somewhere up in the northeast. And, 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 and I thought, I don't know. Something's different here. Something's going on. So Tracy and I were together. And uh, we were at a, after a staff meeting talking, I think, in a hallway at the office. And uh, I said, hey, can I ask you something? I've been wanting to talk to somebody about this who's one of our consultants. And since some of our other guys are in the field, you're right here. I said, I just want to know, I've been running into these people that I've never run into before. And I explained the whole thing that I've shared with you. And she said, you know, I've been running into that too. And I've never heard that before. And so we began to dig into this and explore it further. And we're just discovering that this is something that's in every church. We run into one or two of these people at least in every interview session, which means there are a whole lot that in our random sampling of interviews might have this too. The other thing that might interest you it ought to interest you, is that every year since 2006, the frequency of people we run into is increasing. And guess what? If you don't have the research tools or the approach, you would never know it in your church. Now, would you like to know that? <laughs> I would. When I was a pastor, if I, if I knew what this could mean, and let me tell you what it could mean. Because we are 100% sure, based on our research, that there are already those in your church, in every church, who have holy discontent. They could be a small group. They could be a medium-sized group. But whatever group it is, whatever God's doing, that group is growing as a percentage of the total worship attendance of your church. So, here is some information under this dynamic number five. That is absolutely gold. An awakening is a movement. A revival is a movement. Christianity is a movement. Movements begin with people that God raises up, whether you think they're the right people or not, so the Holy Spirit does, and they're on fire, but they are discontent with the way things are. And so these are the people you need desperately to know who they are, to identify them, and then they need to be trained and equipped because they are the people who will start a movement within your church to give a holy infection to some of the others. But you need to know it'll never be everybody. It never is. Some people just go along for the ride. Many years ago, social scientists have studied the dynamics of change in an organization. This is old news. It's been known for years. And so when you look at a group of people, whether it's in a company, whether it's in the government, whether it's at a university or whether it's in a church or anything, any group of people, and there are several categories of people, you don't know necessarily where anybody falls until you do some research. But there are four categories. There are what they call the early adopters. These are people that are so hungry for change, they will jump on board with new ideas. They want to grow. They want to learn. They want to get going. They want to get moving. 
They are the people with holy discontent. They are early adopters. So you don't need everybody to revolutionize your church. God will use these people to infect the others. You need, as a leader, to focus on those people. And you need to know who they are. And you need to have resources to work with them. So they're ready to go, boom, out of the chute. The next group is called middle adopters. And they come along a little bit later. And they are most easily infected by the early adopters. Then at a later time, much later time, there are the late adopters. And those are people that come on board usually when one of their peers are ready to do this. And not always. I don't want to be prejudiced against older people. But people have been in the church for 60, 70 years. It's harder for them to reinvent the church and, and strategies. And it's harder for them to, you know, not always. There are always exceptions. But to see new worship styles, new music, new instruments, you know, that kind of stuff is a little harder on some of those people. Not all. There are other people that are early adopters at that age, for sure. But some of the late adopters that are in that age group that have been around the church, not age by by chronological age, but age of membership in the church, some of those people that are late adopters will come on board when one of their friends moves into the adoption of this holy discontent. Now, it's the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit works without anybody doing anything. But the Holy Spirit also works with a contagion of those people that have holy discontent. So as it moves out, it's like a pebble in a pond, concentric ripples as it goes toward the shore. And, of course, the final group is never adopters. Those are people that God loves them. They love God. They're going to die and go to heaven. Uh, they probably won't be much earthly good to the expansion of your church and the revival that God wants to do. But they'll grow little by little anyway. And so what happens is this movement transfers by the Holy Spirit's power, but it does it relationally. Those first group of people that are holy discontent, that relationship is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit picks whoever he wants. But here's the deal. You have somewhere minimally around 40% of the people in your church that have holy discontent, and you are at what they call a tipping point. If you have the direction and the materials for them to learn so that their infection grows, their holy infection, to where they're contagious to the other people in your church, that next group, those people that are middle adopters, and then so on and so forth. So if you reach that tipping point, we think it's around 40%, 40 to 60%, much faster and easier with 60%, little bit slower, and not as easy with 40%, but it happens. And so when we work with the church, we use these instruments that we've used, field-tested, and checked out over and over again. We tell leaders, don't try to preach to everybody. This is not something you do from the pulpit because you're wasting the time of some of those people. They're not ready. Respect that. Honor that. Let God reveal those people, and quit trying to trump God in what he's doing with those late adopters. And so you start with those people, but never stop. You just keep moving in that direction. But with 40 to 60 percent, and with those people being properly equipped, 
which may take, with the proper tools, up to three years. But, you know, Jesus spent three years with the disciples. So I don't think you're going to do better than that. But it might take up to three years. But if you're willing to invest in that, you get ready for something that, if you've never seen a revival somewhere in the world, you don't want to miss it. You don't want to miss it for your church. You don't want to miss it personally. So this is the way the kingdom of God works. It's not a program. It's a movement. Movements always begin with a few. How many did Jesus start with? Twelve. Yes, there were a few other people in the bigger circle, but it wasn't a big crowd. So when we conduct an assessment for a church, we use surveys that identify those with holy discontent. If leaders identify and gather those people and use some of the resources that we know help to nurture people, that's really great. If you want to know where to start, start with the book, Who Broke My Church? Not because I wrote it, but because God uses it. We wrote it because we want to see revival. No other reason whatsoever. So to wrap this up, number one, find those people that have holy discontent. The surveys talk to us at Church Doctor Ministries. Then when you discover those people, challenge them to sign up to read Who Broke My Church and then connect them with gathering together in a three-year process. If you need resources, we can help you. But believe me, this is the way God is working and blessing in the church today. I hope that excites you. I am so encouraged that I'm alive at a time where God is doing this. I hope you are too. God bless you. You have been listening to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. If you've liked this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to hear future episodes. Check out Kent Hunter's new book, Who Broke My Church? Seven Proven Strategies for Renewal and Revival, available now wherever books are sold.